0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. And you might not know this, but this podcast was built on an outreach campaign. So what is an outreach campaign? It's a way to build relationships with people you want to reach out to via email, via Twitter, whatever. It's a clever way to do that without spamming people, without annoying them. is a clever way to reach out to people and build meaningful relationships. So in this podcast, you're going to learn how to build your first marketing outreach campaign. And I strongly believe that this is one of the skills that any marketer should really have in, in her skill set. So today's guest is Kai Davis. Kai... He's a freelancer expert. He consults freelancers on how to get more clients. Um, His website is kaydavis.com. He's the founder of the e-commerce agency, Double Your E-commerce, founder of the public relations agency, Double Your Audience. He's the lead educator for teaching and training company for freelancers. He's host of the popular Make Money Online podcast. He's host of the Get More Clients podcast and author of outreach blueprint and podcast outreach. So as you can see, he knows a thing or two about outreach, about consulting, about freelancer. And these resources have really helped like thousands of people. So I really hope that you will learn a lot from this episode. So as I said, in this episode, you're going to learn the seven steps to launching your very first outreach marketing campaign. And if you have done outreach marketing in the past, still listen to this episode because it's a very good reminder of what to do and what not to do when uh, when doing outreach marketing. So as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think. Right, Kay, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, What I'm talking to you right now is completely improvised. I can see in the background uh, a little uh, painting that says, fuck you, pay me, uh, which is brilliant uh, because you actually charge $200 an hour for calls. So I'm happy to be able to talk to you for free. Uh, (laughs) it's a great honor.
1: The invoice is in the mail. It might take a little bit to get delivered to you, but I promise it uh, will be in the mail.
0: Oh, that's why. All right. Okay. That's why I'm waiting for the, for the invoice to come. So I have a small story to tell you. Seven months ago, I I had this small project called Transparent Nation which was about trying to reach out to to founders and marketers who were who were really transparent about what they were doing so their revenue their struggles the lesson they made the lessons they learned the mistakes they've made and all this kind of stuff and so what I've done is I had put together a list of all of those people based on the articles they wrote so I would for example uh, have like David Darmanin from Hodjar and one of the, his key article around transparency. And I, I, at the end, I had a list of like maybe 400 people and their name, the URL of the article and a description of who they were in order to, for me to, to be a little bit more accustomed to them. And I reached out to every single one of them about the project and the reply rate was off the roof. Like more than 50% of people replied. That was just crazy. That's and epic. That was really epic. And as of like since this project, that this project was actually the, the start of, of this podcast, that, that transition into this podcast. And the relationship I have with David Darmanin now, uh, who's my CEO because I work in Hoja, uh, or other uh, people I still talk to today, we're all from the same outreach campaign. Mm-hmm. So in, today we're going to talk about outreach. Um, Wonderful. So why do you think it's so important? Why do you think outreach is is such an important topic for marketers?
1: So I think outreach is important because it really boils down to stimulating conversations and building relationships. I came into outreach marketing actually through the search engine optimization and link building door. I was years ago working for e-commerce stores, helping them get more links, get more reviews for their products. And I realized there were really, let, let's boil it down to a dichotomy. There were two options for initiating these conversations, emailing people and saying, hey, would you link to my thing? Eh, a few people would do that, not so many more people would be responsive to hey you're creating awesome things thank you so much let's let's have a conversation let's build a relationship what are you working on and i found that by Focusing outreach as a whole on stimulating conversations and building relationships, it produces better results because first and foremost, you're building a relationship, an authentic relationship with somebody. And then that could naturally build towards, oh, would you like to be on my podcast or would you link to this resource or do you want to collaborate on something? So I think outreach is so important for marketers because – if we view it through the lens of building relationships and stimulating conversations with people who are involved in relevant industries or relevant projects, it helps build our network, build our connections, and build a better business and help improve other people's lives. The flip side is, It's very easy to view outreach as a one-to-many, blast-it-out, email-everyone type of tactic. I typically see that on outreach campaigns where people aren't investing a lot of time in qualification or positioning, as uh, Philip Morgan discussed in his interview with you, and how to understand who your actual target market is. So within outreach, I think it's so important because a focus on outreach forces you to understand who you're trying to reach, boiling it down to the best 50 or 100 people to reach out to, and focus first and foremost on building a relationship instead of selling or pitching
0: right so that that's i think the, the, the most important point of all of that as marketers we tend to forget that those people in the spreadsheets or those people those numbers in google an- analytics are actually people and we are social animals we we want to build in relationship with people that's how things work really and to me it's kind of the basic of marketing you build relationship and this is how you grow so this is the same than to me like word of mouth Right. It's, I don't consider that to be a channel at all. I think it's just a natural consequence of good marketing and outreach. If you do it well, it seems natural as well. It doesn't seem like a channel you're using. It seems just like you're reaching out to the right people. You're asking them the right thing. They give you, you know, their thoughts in return. They help you in return. And that's how you would do it in, in the normal life. Right,
1: Mm -hmm. very much so. I mean, so many of the best practices that I espouse or evangelize when it comes to outreach marketing come from saying, how would I email a friend about this? How would I want a friend to email me about this? Uh, there's an article I wrote a few months ago on my blog about the focus or the importance of you focused language and outreach emails. And listeners can find that at com forward slash you. And what I see in emails that I receive emails I send, there's such a focus on talking about yourself first. I, this, we, that our company, this, Nobody cares. People want to hear about why it's relevant to them, why it's important to them. And so I think by adopting this lens of, well, how would I want to be spoken to by somebody reaching out to me? Or how would I talk to a friend about this, focusing on the you-focused language? This is important to you because it helps you solve this problem, achieve this outcome. Are you experiencing this problem? People read it. They put themselves in, let's call it the protagonist's shoes. They're the person, the hero, reading this email, experiencing this on their journey, if we focus on it, on the emails being you focused on building that relationship, we're helping the protagonist achieve their goal. We're helping uncover what their goal might actually be.
0: So, so many things to say about what you just said. But first of all, very nice plug. You managed to 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 link your blog in within the sentence. So it's k.davis.com forward slash you. Really well done. That's that was smooth. Really smooth. Uh, <gasps> and uh, so, what I want to do today really is is. Is trying to understand and trying to make listeners understand that this is probably one of the most important things you can do in the business you have, uh, whether it's a big business, a small business, whether you're a marketer in the business, whether you're the founder of the business, outreach is really something you should consider. And what I like to do together is really having a step-by-step methodology uh, that keep, keep, people can take away from. So you said a lot of interesting things. Uh, basically, the fact that people don't care about you, they care about themselves, right? So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a very big lesson. So let's go back to the root of it. Let's say I'm trying to sell pillows, right? I have, this I, like new, it. I have this brand new pillow company that makes like all the other pillows obsolete because it's so good. You sleep so well on them. Um, and I want to reach the right people in order to spread the word. First of all, what type of people should I contact?
1: Now that is actually the question I was going to ask you. So great job anticipating that. So the way I typically think about it is first and foremost, well, we have, we have, we start off with an idea of who our target market is. The way I like to think about product creation or product marketing is first and foremost, who are we trying to reach? Let's say we're looking for I'm going to be selfish and pick this because I'm about to head to Burning Man in three weeks from this episode. So let's say we're trying to sell to burners, people who are attending this small 70,000-person arts festival in Nevada each year called Burning Man. And we have pillows. We want to sell pillows to them. So the first question that comes to mind is, well, who are we trying to sell to? We're going to sell to people who are attending Burning Man. The second question that comes to my mind as we start to think about outreach and building these relationships, building these conversations is, well, why the heck would somebody care about the pillows we have? What's unique about them? What problem does it solve for the person buying the pillow? So to answer that question, I advocate market research, having conversations with people, uh, understanding what sucks about the pillows they're currently using on camping trips, what's wonderful about the pillows they love, what features do they enjoy, just so we have a better understanding of
0: the entire aspect, please. So let's, let's slow down. Because you're saying so many good things. We need to, we need to, to, to break that down. So first of all, we identify our target audience and it seems trivial, but it's actually not. It's a very good exercise to put that on paper. Who am I actually trying to reach? So people in Burning Man's or as you call them, burners, which is really funny because I've never heard the term before. Uh, so burners. <laughs> and uh, now that we know who they are, we interview them. So you advocate for talking to them. Over the phone or even face to face, right?
1: Talking to them on the phone, talking to them face to face, researching online uh, forums or communities they're posting in, seeing if they seeing reviews they leave for different pillows, seeing reviews people leave, leave for different camping pillows. Uh, just understanding what the conversation around these types of products is, what they like, what they don't like, what they wish were aspects of the product. All of this, honestly, I think is necessary and valuable. Before we even say design our amazing, beautiful pillow, we wanna understand who we're going to be selling to, what attributes they care about. Do they care about it being compressible and like packing down? Do they care about it being a wonderful, soft, firm, resting place for their head while they camp? Depending on these needs, that all informs the type of product we're going to be creating. So I think market research and these conversations with potential customers, prospects, early buyers, is incredibly important to understand, well, What exactly do people want to buy? And that starts to answer the question of, well, why do they care? If we're creating a pillow that solves these problems, solves these pains for them, it makes it so much easier for them to say, oh, wow, of course I'd go with this pillow. It seems like such a better option for me.
0: Right. So you have your value proposition. You know exactly why you're different uh, rather than the competitors. And you kind of have also key sentences that people will use over and over again in their own words, right? So you'd be able to reuse that in your marketing. So what will be step three once you have that?
1: So step three is we have an idea of who we're trying to reach. We have an idea of the pains and problems that they're experiencing. At this point, some people might jump to creating the product. We're going to build our pillow and get some ideas of it. I like to jump forward and start understanding through conversations with people through outreach with people well what to a deeper level what are people looking for what do people care about what's interesting or what's an interesting proposition for them for a product like this this jumps forward a bit but i think it's relevant i think we want to start thinking about well we've identified the community we're trying to reach we've identified what they're looking for in this product where do these people naturally congregate online? Where do they spend their time? What podcasts do they listen to? What sites do they read? What authors do they follow? What magazines offline do they read? What communities do they belong to? Because when it comes time to actually implement outreach and start marketing our product, we want to approach these communities and say, well, hey, we have this thing. It's for the people that make up your community. Would you be interested in learning more about it? Would this be something your audience would care about? Again, it comes down to what's in it for them, I find that by first understanding what our product is, why it's relevant to that audience, and then contacting the people who are marketing to that audience or have built up an audience of those people, it's easier to reach people at scale.
0: Uh, That's really similar to what Ryan Fishkin is saying uh, about identifying influencers of the people you're trying to reach to. I hate the word influencer. Uh, and I don't really know how to replace, what to replace it with, but VIPs or or whatever it is. But those people who are basically influencing others through their actions, uh, through their thoughts, um, through what they're doing or what they're not doing. Um, so I very much like that. So would you say this is step three? Like once you have this audience, you kind of understand what influenced those people. Exactly. We want to understand. I use the term uh, audience
1: builder or audience owner typically to refer to the person who's created or built up this tribe of people around them. So we want to understand what influences these people and we want to understand what influences the audience owners or the people building these audiences. What motivates them if they've built up a podcast that has 5000 or fifty thousand listeners? What would be exciting and interesting for them to share with their audience? Would it be a review of the pillow? Would it be a discussion about like four things you never knew about packing for this type of event and why a pillow is so important? Would it be something else entirely By understanding what both motivates the end buyer, the customer, the hero, the protagonist, and this audience builder, this person we're reaching out to through outreach marketing to build that relationship, it helps us better understand both sides of the equation. How do we pitch something so people are receptive to it as we build the relationship? And what aspects and attributes make sense for our product overall? So people say, oh, wow, this is an interesting product. This seems to help me get towards that outcome I'm looking for. How do I learn more? What's that next step?
0: Right. So we have this list of so-called influencers, or as you said, like tribe owners or audience owners. What's the next step? Do we reach out to them? I very much advocate
1: reaching out to them. And I like a very soft approach. I like reaching out, starting that relationship, focusing on building that relationship first and foremost, by either adding value to the conversation, sharing an interesting resource, sharing an interesting article saying like, Oh, Hey, uh, I noticed you run this blog on this topic. I just saw this podcast interview over here on a similar topic. I think you'd love it. Here's a quick two sentence summary of it. Thanks for all the amazing work you do. So reach out with no real ulterior motive. The goal is stimulate a conversation and build a relationship we've all made friends on the internet before at the heart at the core of it all the outreach marketing i espouse really boils down to reach out to people and stimulate a conversation like you would with making a friend through a forum or a discussion group see what common interests you have share something interesting with them to start that conversation uh, chet holmes i believe in ultimate sales M- machine of advocates focusing on the third or the fourth sale before you even think about the first sale Within outreach marketing, I take that similar mental approach. I'm focusing on building the relationship first before we even think about the first sale. And when we start thinking about the sales, I want to say, well, how could we make this such a valuable opportunity, such a valuable relationship for that person I'm talking with that the fourth, the fifth, the sixth collaboration feels like it's already set in stone, feels like it's a natural next step rather than leading with, hey, we have an an amazing pillow Do you want to review it for your audience? Instead, we'll reach out and say, hey, you're creating an amazing thing here. How could I help? What's interesting? What would be motivating for your audience?
0: So uh, this is exactly what happened to us. We are friends now and we haven't met. It's beautiful. Um, We just had email conversations. And over time, we just just had a a relationship that enables us to have this conversation right now over the podcast. But this step is actually... This step is actually a big one, and there are many sub-steps to it, right? So let's get into the details because, okay, we have this community, we have the name of the people who might manage them, or we have those influencers in front of us. First of all, how do we find their email address? Uh,
1: Getting very tactical, I like using, first and foremost, a tool called Email Hunter, available at hunter.io. It's a wonderful tool. They basically scraped the web and said, okay, can we identify email addresses for different sites? And you could go to hunter.io right now and enter in KaiDavis.com and see all the email addresses hunter.io has identified for my site. And so it's been a wonderful tool as I run outreach campaigns and hit that step of saying, well, how do I contact the right person here? Well, first, we want to identify who that right person is. Is it If it's a small uh, podcast or content site, we might immediately reach out to the founder or the person running it. If it's a larger site, maybe there's gatekeepers, maybe there's organization, maybe there's hierarchy involved, so we want to identify that right person. Once we figure out who the right person or people are, we could use a tool like Hunter to find their email address. Now we have their email address, their name, and their site, and we're able to move on to that next step in outreach.
0: Would you... Like you mentioned, fifty to one hundred people as a list, but I'm pretty sure that you've done outreach with much bigger audiences before, uh, and even personalized the email based on based on certain things. So, do you advocate to semi kind of semi automate the process of like you know sending bulk emails with with uh, specific tags, or do you say would you say no? I, I send manual emails only.
1: It really honestly depends on the campaign.
0: As I get a campaign
1: or as you, dear listener, get an outreach campaign sort of to scale, uh, and I'd say scale is when you start feeling overwhelmed with the volume of replies or follow-up emails you're sending, then using an automated tool, I use Reply.io and Blue Tick by Mike Tabor for my outreach campaigns. And I found them to be very wonderful because I no longer need to worry about sending the emails. I could just rely on uh, uh, the tool to send the emails out for me follow up for me on the schedule I'm setting. And if and when the person I'm contacting replies back, then we're able to start that conversation. But that jumps ahead of it for anybody I coach on outreach marketing or outreach strategies. I say for the first 20, 30, 50 people we want to send the emails manually because there's so much benefit in that. We get a better understanding of how to write the emails. We might start with a first draft template that we send to one person and by the time we send email two, we're like, ooh, I want to change the wording a little bit. Email 10, we refine the wording even more. So by starting with a manual process, we're able to incrementally optimize what our emails are, what messages we're sending, how we're building that relationship based on the responses we get or the engagement levels we get. Then we're able to say, okay, Let's write this follow up sequence. How do we make sure that people respond to us? Well, the best way to ensure a reply is to demonstrate that this communication, this relationship we're trying to build is valuable to us. And we do that by making sure we send polite, persistent follow up emails that add more value to the conversation. We sure uh, I'm sure we've all been on the receiving side of emails that are, hey, did you receive that last email I sent you? And a week later, hey, just checking in. Did you get that last email? And I think of those as non value added follow up. It's just basically knocking on the door and saying, did you get my letter? What I think is a much better approach is focusing on adding value. So we send a first email to start that conversation. Maybe we don't hear back. We already have a second email drafted, which might be like, hey, just following up. wanted to share this podcast interview or this article or this piece of market data on this topic, Burning Man Pillows, the importance of pillows for camping, whatever it may be. So we're adding value to the conversation rather than it simply being a, did you get that last email I sent you? It's, hey, here's something of value. Now maybe we're able to stimulate a conversation off of the resource, the podcast, the article, the marketing material, whatever it may be that we sent over. And we just follow down the line. If we get no response, we want a third email prepared that adds more value and stimulates a conversation. Typically, I advocate five to six emails in that outreach sequence, but always having it focused on adding more value, stimulating that conversation and focusing on building a relationship.
0: All right. so my job today is going to be to go back to what you said and, this, and, and step it down because there's so many things you're saying that are valuable. Uh, so before we think about following up, we actually have to write that email and you started to mention that at the start saying it has to be, it has to sound natural, has to sound like it's all about them, not about you. Um, I have a tip for that, uh, when sometimes, you know, you would write marketing material, like an email newsletter or, 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 or a copy for a landing page. And you're like, it mm, sounds like bad. It sounds salesy. It sounds odd. Um uh, we usually, the best process for that is just to sc- scrap it all together i just voice it out. So I would actually out loud, imagine I have a friend in, mm-hmm. front of, in front of me and I would just explain it to him. I would say, well, actually this feature does that and that, and, and it's really easy because you can do it and then it's much easier. I just write it down as I say it and it's tough to do because it seems like you have this, this, uh, this hat on, as soon as you try to write, that is like the shitty salesman hat where that makes you say stupid stuff that you will never say in, in person. So maybe you share this, maybe you disagree, but if I write an email, I will always try to do that. First of all, make sure it's about them. And second, make sure it, it reads as if you're saying that to the person in front of you.
1: Completely, completely agreed. I do the same myself. I'll sit down either with a friend or a business partner or uh, somebody I'm just close with and just voice the email out loud to them. And I say, your only job, dear friend, is to ask, why would I care whenever I stop talking? Because I want to get the person I'm speaking to, the person I'm voicing this email out loud to, to the point where they say, oh, wow, this is interesting. Tell me more. Instead of that natural hesitancy, resistance we might have to marketing of, you're just trying to pitch me on a thing. So I think by adopting, I see this in programming often as like the rubber ducking idea where, hey, I'm stuck on a problem. I'm imagining a rubber duck. Okay, let me talk through this problem to the rubber duck and see where I get to. I think applying that same process to writing these emails makes perfect sense. Let's voice it out loud. Let's imagine we're talking to a rubber duck. Why should this other person care about what we're promoting and what we have to say? by getting that pushback either internally as we voice our email out loud as we write it or from a trusted associate or a trusted colleague, it forces us to improve our messaging and make it more you focused.
0: Right. So once you have that first draft, you would, you would say to send it to 25, 30 people manually and see what's the response rate. So I, I, I can hear people already t- asking what's the, the average response rate for this type of cold outreach. So what would it be even though it depends on a lot of things, what's the typical reply rate you can see from, from those?
1: Honestly, it it varies across the board depending on how refined you've made your target market, how you've qualified your list, and what your message is. What I advocate first and foremost is focusing on a smaller, or more qualified list of people early on. So maybe we identify a hundred people, and then we say, okay, let's pretend I only have enough energy or enough credits to email fifty of these people. How do I qualify it down just to the fifty or the twenty-five best buyers, the perfect candidates? If we focus on that qualification first. Response rates rise, engagement rises, because we're emailing only the best buyers. Uh, uh, Beyond that, though, in response to your question, what's the average rate? What could we look for? It really depends. I have outreach campaigns running right now where we have a 3% reply rate and we have a 30% reply rate. And it depends on the audience. It depends on the messaging. It depends on the follow-up emails. What I tell people who I coach on outreach marketing is send that first campaign to the 50 or so people see, record what your metrics are, see what the open rate and the reply rate was across the campaign or per email, and then say, okay, great, this is my baseline, this is what I'm comparing against. Sure, somebody might have just written a post about how they got 120% open rate, good for them, that's wonderful, but for us, all we could do is look at past performance and compare our current performance to that past performance.
0: What has been the, the, the most successful outreach campaign you've ever done?
1: Oh, I uh, that's a good question. The most successful outreach campaign was one where the client a week into it said, we need to pause because we're getting too good of a results here. And we've spent the entire budget for promotion that we expected. It was uh, promoting a fashion wear company and we were reaching out to bloggers to build relationships and say, hey, would your audience be interested in learning more about this product or running a giveaway for your audience? And we had something like an 80%, not reply rate, acceptance rate. People saying, yes, we'd love to do this. Incredibly qualified list, incredibly refined messaging. And the owner was like, this is wonderful. You've exceeded expectations. We need to hit pause now because we can't afford to ship more dresses this quarter. Let's da-da-da, move forward. But that probably stands out in my mind as the most successful campaign. And it really comes down to a focus on early qualification. I started with a list of 1,000 fashion bloggers and refined it down to probably 250 and a focus on messaging. I'd spent six months studying this industry, studying how these bloggers talked with each other, emailing with them and understanding the language they use. So when I pitched them and when I worked on building this relationship, it was using their language, their words, their vocabulary and written in a you-focused voice. So when they received the email, it wasn't like, oh God, not another person pitching me on a thing, but oh wow, this person is interested in building a relationship, working together in the long term. That's excellent. He's explained what the next step is. If there's a clear call to action, let's move forward. I'm interested.
0: Yeah, that's quite impressive. Uh, so you have this email, you send this first email, and then and then you've been saying a few times in this podcast, and I've read a few times from you as well, that following up is actually even more important than, than sending the first email. So you, you started to explain that uh, a few minutes ago. Why is it important and, and so what type of, of uh, schedule should you put in place? And what type of scheduling, I, I mean, follow up emails should you send? Because you mentioned the first email is about creating a relationship, uh, starting a discussion. What will be the second one then?
1: So the second one, I think, sir, if we look at it from like a jobs to be done framework in any initial outreach sequence, we're sending the job of every single email is to get a reply, be it a yes or a no, or an F off, I don't want to hear from you again. We want that reply because that reply, either a strongly positive reply, or a strongly negative reply, lets us know we're touching a nerve, we're engaging, people are responding back. I have outreach campaigns where I could see that, uh, a very extensive one I'm running right now, where there's 13 follow-up emails. There's one person in the campaign who has opened 11 of the emails so far and has yet to reply, and so that's interesting to me because they're engaging in a sense, they're reading the emails, but it's not enough to get them to reply. I never like being in that middle ground of somebody saying like, "eh, it's good enough for me to read, but not reply. I want to evoke that strong emotion of either, oh, yes, we'd love to work together or, hey, it's not a fit. When we get the not a fit response, we're able to move them off the list and focus just on the best buyers.
0: Right. So what would be a typical follow up email? What do you focus on?
1: I'd focus on whatever I determine is relevant to that blogger or that industry. So typically when I'm building an outreach campaign, I'll spend time doing a research process, identifying relevant articles, relevant pieces of market data, uh, interviews, either myself or the company I'm working with has taken part in, and use that to build the follow-up emails. So each email has a bit of a value add to it. It's not me just saying, hey, email number four, I'd love you to review this thing. It's, hey, email number four, we just had a guest post go live over here on this site. I think you'll love it. It shows the type of reviews that we get, what people think about our products. If you're interested in writing something similar, please reply, but here's a link that just illustrates what that guest post is. And so it adds more value. It gives us, I think of it as, of it almost as a MacGuffin, a, an excuse, an object that allows us to email the person and follow up with them. But not a uh, uh, struggle to say the same thing again and again instead we're focused on sharing new and relevant information either about ourselves our product them their industry but it's all under the purpose of stimulating that conversation to engage with them and get that response
0: and would you send uh, those follow-ups manually or do you have a tool that you also use for that
1: Early on, initially, I send the follow ups manually just because, again, I think there's value in going through that process, experiencing the pain of following up with 50 people manually and iterating on the copy and the content within those messages. As we start to hit that point of, oh, my, I'm sending, you know, 50 emails and I have to follow up with 50 people and I have four follow up emails. This is getting a bit head melty. I advocate moving to an automated tool like Reply.io or BlueTick by Mike Tabor because that allows you to say, okay, I've defined this outreach sequence. I've defined this follow-up sequence. I've started to see responses and replies from it. Let me load it in place. So now I'm able to delegate to this tool the process of sending the emails, following up if we don't get a reply. And then once somebody does reply, the follow-up sequence stops and we're able to engage in that conversation manually, nurturing them towards a strong relationship.
0: So there's not, I think, I I don't think there's something more annoying than this type of email when they are not targeted and when they are like all about the sender. So Mm -hmm. to listeners who want to try that out and have never tried before, be extremely careful of what you're sending and to who be extremely targeted and really try to picture whether you would be willing to say what you're just writing to this person face to face. If you're not, then you have to either not send it or, or reward it altogether. So don't do the, dear sir, madam, this is our SEO professional services. uh, This is what we offer, bullet point, bullet point. Please don't do that. Um I do receive a few cold emails that I reply to because I enjoy reading them because they are actually, some of them are actually really well written and you can see that they've made their research. But it doesn't feel like a cold email at all. It feels like they've actually made their research, they know... They mention a few episodes. They mention a few things from the episodes that you basically have to listen to it to understand to know whether it's it's true or not. So, there there are a bad way and a good way to do it, and and what you're advocating is definitely uh, the right way. So, once we are doing that, we should expect relationships to be built, and you shouldn't really drop the ball, right? I mean, you should hopefully put them those people in a CRM and 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 keep building relationship. You should subscribe to their newsletter. You should follow what they write, what they what they talk about. You should go to their conference, uh, and just be the relationship like a normal human, right? Like a human being. Entirely,
1: entirely. I. Uh... I use PipeDrive as my CRM. And for every single campaign, for every pipeline I have, I have a ready for follow up column. So once we've started that conversation, they've replied, maybe we've had a placement or we've done something together. I want to continue maintaining that relationship. I think one of the biggest fall off points in relationships or outreach marketing or marketing in general is, and I think you talked about this on a previous episode, potentially with Philip Morgan, is you have that sale, you have that engagement, and then There's no attention paid to that customer, that hero, after you've worked on this placement or had a purchase happen or had some conversion-esque event happen. By focusing on that follow-up, by focusing on maintaining that relationship, we, A, build a stronger relationship with that person, which will pay off in different ways. B, set ourselves up for additional placements, additional opportunities, additional ways to work together. And so by focusing on maintaining that relationship, building it into a stronger relationship, it pays off for us and it pays off for them and it pays off for each of our respective audiences.
0: So am I in your CRM? Yes, you are. Oh, can't wait for the next follow-up. (laughs) <laughs> um right. So that's been really helpful and I hope that listeners will have a lot of stuff to take away from. Obviously they can email uh K Davis if, if they want to. Um I, I suppose they just have to go to your to your website and they'll be able to contact you pretty fast, right? What's the email address that you would uh prefer?
1: Absolutely. The best way to reach out to me is most likely signing up for my daily email newsletter. I send out a daily tip about freelancing and consulting and marketing, and you're able to sign up for that at KaiDavis.com, K-A-I-D-A-V-I-S.com. Every email is sent for my personal email address. So if any subscribers have questions, I encourage them to write back, reply, ask me questions. I always love being asked questions about freelancing or marketing or outreach. And so the best way to initiate that relationship visit kai sign up for my daily newsletter if you sign up today you'll be guaranteed to get tomorrow's newsletter and reply tell me about yourself and tell me about what you're struggling with or working on i always love offering any advice i can
0: i need to stop calling you kay because it's actually Kai. and that's pretty bad of me pretty bad form um so but we are not over with this episode and and if you are if listeners are planning to uh, to stop listening it's not the right moment um I have to say your emails are really good. I really love the way you write them. And it really sounds like you're talking to me in a sense that it's a natural uh, flow, uh, which I am trying to do in my own emails. Um, but I'm not as as good as, as you are just yet. Uh, moving on to bad marketing and, and bullshit marketing outside of what we just talked about. Why do you think marketers have a bad reputation in general?
1: I think it's because... I was just thinking about this question before the interview, actually, so I'm so happy you asked this. I think it's because we see some channel work, like marketers in general. We'll see some innovators, some early adopters, test a channel, see great success with it. Let's say Facebook bot messaging. I I see reports about like 80% open rates, 80% click-through rates. It's an amazing marketing tool. That's great. It's an untapped channel right now, which means people are seeing extraordinary results with it. But more marketers will move into it, start using it, start following just the same copy and paste tactics and not really say, well, how does this relate to my audience? How does this help my audience grow? Is this a marketing channel or a communication channel that actually helps my business? And so we see sort of a race to the lowest common denominator there. And I think we see this overpopulation of channels and we see it as a boom bust cycle. Hey, we discovered a new channel. Hey, great. It's working well. Ah, it's kind of getting oversaturated. Ah, nobody uses it anymore. We can see this, I think, with the growth of Twitter, with the evergreen cycle of webinars, with all these different channels. As soon as something new comes on the scene, we have early the adopters use it, have great results, and then it sort of becomes the lowest common denominator as everybody rushes to use it to get the uh, best results possible, but it ends up alienating the audience. Am I answering that well?
0: You are. You are. The more I'm interviewing great marketers like you are, the more, the, the clearer it gets in my head, this idea of, of the fact that you should focus on tranquility um, instead of this kind of constant buzz around what's new, what should I try next? Um so tranquility in stoicism is really the, the value of knowing that you're doing the right thing and that sooner rather than later what you want to achieve will, will will happen. You don't know when, but it will happen. So instead of chasing everything around you, just focus on the on the lighthouse in in the horizon and, and, and just keep uh keep doing it. And I feel that this is if if not the most important aspect of marketing. As a discipline, your ability to focus on what you're good at, regardless of what's happening around you. And, and just focusing on the first principles, focusing on building relationships, like we talked about today. Um, entirely. So ab- absolutely. You, you answered it right. I, it's, you know, it, it's, I hope that listeners will really be convinced by this because I stopped using Twitter, or LinkedIn recently. Um, I don't log into it anymore. I just schedule posts when I need to. And it just created so much happiness and balance in my day that I I don't see how I managed to do it before. So consider deleting a lot of your channels that you're not using, consider not checking many things that you don't like checking anyway, and just focus on your craft, what you're the best at.
1: Completely agreed. Uh, In your interview with Philip Morgan, he talked about how he sees so much importance on focusing on a few channels and doing them right. And for him, one of them is email. For me, also, one of them is email. And I think there's a lot of value in saying, well, I want to do two or three things exceptionally well, rather than do 30 things at a so-so level. Uh, there's a concept within the productivity sphere of context switching. Well, if you're working on one thing and switch to working on a different thing, there's a ramp up period for you to get mentally settled and mentally ready to work on the new thing. This is why interruptions can be so devastating to productivity. I think when we look at marketing and look at all the different channels, we could see a similar principle in effect. If I'm trying to work on 10 different marketing channels at the same time, well, I might spend an hour on email and now I'm switching to Twitter. Well, I'm not going to be as productive with that switch immediately as I was on email, so I have to ramp up. It's going to take more time. Now I'm on Facebook ads. Now I'm doing a webinar. Now I'm working on my latest blog post. Now I want to do something on Pinterest. Now I want to do something on Snapchat. It becomes overwhelming, and the cost of that context switching within a marketing space can just devastate your productivity. I think focusing on a few channels done well and slowly, incrementally, obviously, testing different channels, seeing if they make sense, see if your audience responds to them. And if they don't, saying, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. I think your point about Twitter and LinkedIn is exceptional. You made that decision like, oh, these don't really fulfill me personally. They aren't fun. I'm not enjoying them. I'm not getting value out of them. I'm going to schedule the posts and then not think about them anymore. You just freed up so much mental bandwidth that you were before spending on these channels, thinking about them. Has somebody retweeted me? Has somebody replied? Whenever I've taken a social media break or such, I've noticed the same effect myself. I'm no longer worried about it. I'm less stressed and anxious about it. And then I have that epiphany of, well, hey, if I was stressed and anxious about a marketing channel, why am I doing it? This should be fun. This should either be producing amazing results for my business. Or if it's not, hey, I don't want to do it anymore. And an amazing result might be I have a lot of joy engaging on this channel. I know I use Twitter myself, but it's very much for personal expression. And I'm tweeting odd things and tweeting about building a Burning Man camp. It's not the latest marketing tips from Kai Davis. But for me, there's personal enjoyment and fulfillment that comes from it. And so I keep it around as a channel. But I think it is valuable to ask that question. Well, is this producing a return for me? Is this helping me reach my audience? Is my audience actually using this channel? And do I want to continue doing it? Or do I want to focus on fewer things done well?
0: That's it. You summarize everything. Um, Nothing much to add to that apart from how many emails uh, do you send a week? Is it one email a day?
1: It's one email every weekday and I have a few additional campaigns that run off, run to separate groups on my list. So right now I'm uh, uh, testing a new project and so I have a small group of people that I'll email and say like, hey, here's a new thing. Do you want to learn more about it? But typically it's one email a day to my list at large.
0: And what's the typical open rate?
1: Open rate is around, it varies between 30 and 40%. I know that my weakness is very much writing subject lines. So when I've written a very... For lack of a better phrase, clickbaity subject line, I've gotten a much higher open rate. So I sent out an email a few weeks ago with the subject line classified, secret project, don't open, 48% open rate, something ridiculous to my entire list. And I had a large number of replies from that since it was a short email with a call to action of like, hey, reply here. And so because I built up this personal relationship with people, people who had received this had been on my list for at least 90 days. It, connected with the personality they had been accustomed to. It excited interest. They were like, what is this? Tell me more. And so that alone showed me, okay, there's some gap here where I can improve my skill at writing subject lines, increase my open rate, and see a better result here, have more people engaging with my content. But if I'm sending a daily email and seeing around a 30% open rate, I'm very, very happy with that.
0: That's really impressive. What tool do you use to the EMS? I use Drip. I'm a big fan of Drip. Yeah, me too. I'm using CovertKit, but uh I've tried Reap and it's pretty good as well. Uh but I don't mm-hmm. wanna get into the habit of changing tools all the time or else I'm gonna lose Completely my mind. Agreed. Now um, if
1: the if the tool you're using works for you, stick with it. I, I always like using a tool until I sort of run into the metaphorical corner of it not working for me anymore. And then say, okay, now I know exactly what that problem is, what I'm not experiencing within this tool. Let me find something that solves that exact problem. And it gives me an easier path to upgrade to something new than just jumping to the newest tool.
0: What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 20 years or even 50 years?
1: I think it's really a focus on conversation first before automation. I I receive a ton of email because I invite people on my email list, people listening to podcast episodes like this, to email me because I believe in the power of conversation. I want to have as many conversations as possible. Uh, for a few months, I was running a promotion on my list for people who engaged at a certain level. I'd send them an email saying, hey. I want to have a 15-minute conversation with you. Here's a link, schedule a time. I want to talk about whatever would help you grow your business. And I had 30 to 40 conversations with freelancers and consultants on my list off of that. And it was wonderful for me because I was able to learn more about what people were experiencing, what they were going through, what they were doing. It was wonderful for the recipients because they were able to get business advice. They were able to ask questions and they were able to build a stronger relationship with me. So I very much focus on conversation first and when I use automation tools or tactics, using them to serve the purpose of how can this stimulate more conversations? How could this get a higher uh, engagement or a better relationship between myself and the people I'm trying to connect with?
0: What are the top uh, three resources you would recommend marketers?
1: Oh, yeah, they're all books. I'm a big reader and so they're all books that I love. Uh, the first one would be Sean DeSouza's The Brain Audit. It's a transformational book for me. Uh, Sean is a wonderful, wonderful gentleman. His book, The Brain Audit, on why people on why customers buy and why they don't. I recommend it to every coaching student I work with, every colleague I encounter. The story I love to tell about the book is the first time I was reading it, I was reading it on the Kindle. It was a summer day a few years ago in Eugene. I was walking down to the river just to sit there and read the book and just enjoy a beautiful summer day. And I'm so engrossed in reading the book, just flipping through it. I don't see that there's a parked car five feet in front of me. And I walk face first into the car, leaving a face print smudged into the back dusty window. I tell a friend about it. She ends up telling Sean. Sean emails me and he's like, Can I use this as a testimonial. It's pretty funny. And I'm like, of course, of course. But the book is so good. It literally was a page turner that resulted in me walking into a car. I've read the book probably seven times now. I absolutely love it. Uh, so again, uh, The Brain Audit by Sean you're would be that source.
0: You're quite a storyteller and I don't, uh, sorry to cut you, but at the time when we're going to publish your episodes, Sean's episodes will be already live. <laughs> Hey, wonderful. Yeah, it's a fabulous book. I have to say you must read it. It's a very simple framework to, to write copy that makes sense for your customers uh, and for people you're trying to reach out to. I do use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so plus one to this. Yes. Uh,
1: Second resource I'd recommend, Chet Holmes' The Ultimate Sales Machine. It holds the record as being the book I've marked up the most. I write in the margins of every book, highlight passages, put little flag post-it notes in there. It probably has 150 passages highlighted. It is one of the most valuable books I've read in my life. And the third would be uh, Robert, and I always butcher his last name. I think it's Caldini, uh, Influence in the Psychology of Persuasion. Hugely influential book for me. I think I read it when I was 21 years old, right around the time I was graduating college, and it very much just opened my mind to marketing and these principles of persuasion and how do people respond to these different aspects of it. So my top three recommended resources, The Brain Audit, Ultimate Sales Machine, and Influence in the Psychology of Persuasion.
0: Very nice books. I I read the first you mentioned, the third you mentioned, but not the second. So I'm going to buy it as soon as we finish discussing. Uh, who are, like, who is the next person I should interview? So now you know that Sean Souza, I've interviewed him. I've interviewed Philip Morgan. I've interviewed Seth Godin. I've interviewed, uh, who else would you know? Uh, Dave, David Darmanin from Hotjar. Who else should I interview?
1: Oh, two friends come to mind. One is Jonathan Stark of Expensive Problem. He focuses on... Helping software developers understand how to escape hourly billing and how to, and I think part of it is also how to better market themselves, similar to how Philip Morgan talks about positioning. A lot of Jonathan's work is helping people escape from the trap of being a commodity or being seen as a commodity. Uh, The second person would be Nick DeSabado, who specializes in conversion rate optimization and A B testing for e commerce stores. He's a designer first and foremost, and so he's taken his design sensibilities and the importance of research backed design and applied it to this world of marketing and AB testing for e-commerce stores and generated amazing results, published a number of books, recently released a course on AB testing, the AB testing manual. I think either of them would be wonderful, wonderful guests.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of them. So I think uh, that would be good guests to, to interview and invite on the show. So thank you so much. So Kai, once again, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much also for all the value you've been providing in this podcast. I have to say, just a note for the listeners that might not know that, I don't tell my guest in advance of what the topic uh, of the episode will be because I want to make sure we have a normal conversation, not uh, just somebody uh, reading his notes. So I told Kai literally five minutes, no, two minutes before we started to record that I will ask about outreach. So thank you for being so uh, accommodating and and, uh, and running with it. Once again, um, how sh- uh, how can people reach out to you and, and start a conversation with you?
1: Absolutely. The best way to reach out and start a conversation would be to sign up for my daily email list at kaidavis.com, K-A-I-D-A-V-I-S.com. Uh, it's one of those annoying full-page Uh, opt-in forms there's a nice little link that says take me to the articles if you don't want to opt-in but subscribing to my email list gets you the daily articles as they're released it gets you the most up-to-date content and it also gives you direct access to me just reply to an email and say hey i have a question about freelancing or consulting or marketing and i'm always happy to reply and share an answer
0: nice i think that's a wrap thank you very much
1: thank you so much for having me on
0: So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.